Um, as you turn there, just for those of you new, um, one, I'm glad that you guys can be here with us this morning. My name is Ricardo Stewart. I'm one of the pastors here. I get the opportunity to, to do a bulk of the preaching, which I'll do such this morning. A little bit about Redemption Church. We are one church. We have multiple congregations. And so most of our congregations are here in the valley, although we have one in Flagstaff and we have one in Tucson. We believe that all of life is all for Jesus. So simply put, we believe that Jesus on the cross and through the resurrection was not just promising to redeem souls, but promising to restore and renew all of creation. So we seek to make followers of Jesus, disciples, respond to that truth um, in every area of life. So if you have any questions, things that you want to know about the church, areas or ways in which you want to get connected or involved, the best thing that you can do is take the, seat, the connect card that's in the seat back in front of you, fill out your name, your email address, and you can drop those off in the offering boxes, which are located in the back by the doors. Okay, Jonah. Quick recap on Jonah. 38 seconds. All right, Jonah was written by... You guys have been listening. So you have... Jonah in itself, it's four chapters, and the book of Jonah is about God. You're wrong. Okay, so what we have is, <laughs> a trick question. So Jonah chapter 1, what we see is God calls Jonah, the prophet, and says, Prophet Jonah, you need to go to Nineveh, and I want you to preach against that great city. Well, jo Jonah, unlike all the other prophets, says, no, God, I'm not going to do what you want me to do. And so instead of going here, he goes there. Instead of going up, he goes down. He finds himself on a ship. God calls the storm to happen, and the ship is going crazy. The men on the ship, the sailors, who were not believers of God, they go to Jonah, who, by the way, is sleeping, and they say, wake up. Um, do you not know what's happening? He goes, actually, I do know what's happening. My God, who runs all this, he's doing this because I ain't listening to him. Like, what are you doing? He's like, I was sleeping before you guys woke me up. So they ask him, what, do, what should we do? And he's like, the best thing you can do is throw me into the sea. And so these men go, normally I don't do this, but uh, go and let the party go. And so they dropped him off into the sea. What, then you get the famous story of Jonah that many people who know about Jonah know about, and that is the big fish comes. And the big fish comes and gets Jonah. In the fish, Jonah prays to the Lord. He prays to him, asks the Lord to save him, to redeem his life. He does. The fish spits Jonah out. Jonah finds himself on the land. Chapter 3, last week, Jonah finally goes to Nineveh, preaches the worst sermon ever. He comes and he basically says, hey, God's mad. And he leaves, right? And, and, and what happens is the Ninevites repent. Like the king repents. The, the whole nation repents. It even alludes to the animal. Even the animals are like, yeah, we've, we've been, we've been messed up. We, we. So the animals repent. And there's this beautiful scene. Now, now, if you were just kind of writing Jonah or you were just reading Jonah's story, that's where you end Jonah, right? Jonah ends after chapter 3. It's like Jonah was this prophet who said no to God. Then God was like, okay, you're going to say no to me. I'm going to put you in a fish. He's in a fish. God redeems him. He changes his life. It's a great story. He goes and it becomes this Billy Graham of his, of his, of his uh, generation. A whole nation gets saved, the end. But Jonah doesn't end like that. You kind of wish Jonah did end like that. Jo Jonah ends kind of like when the movie should have ended. You know, you ever those movies like, they should have they just let it go right there. Now this is not a good movie anymore, right? That, that, that's what happens. Because what we see here in chapter 4, what you just heard read, is now Jonah's upset. He's angry. He's mad. Over and over again during this chapter, he goes, I wish I were dead. And you're like, Wait, what's going on in his life? He's mad because the Ninevites are now believers in God. Right? They're rejoicing in the heavens. Jonah is like, I would rather die. Like, God is like, are you sure about this? He goes, yeah, I'm very sure. Like, I'm very sure. Like, 
this is a problem. And so what we're going to look at in order to be able to kind of walk through this chapter, just kind of some framework. One, I'm going to have to let you guys know on the front end, um, I'm going to get up in your grill today, okay? In essence, I'm going to just speak truth. That's what get up in your grill, your faith, right? And part of it is we have to see those of us in this room who are followers of Jesus. If you're like, I'm not a Christian, this is perfect. This is like, this is that uncomfortable moment when you, as a kid, you were with your friend and their parents, you know, start getting after them for doing something they shouldn't have done. And you were in the room and just being in the room, you're like, dang, I, I, I don't know if I'm supposed to be here, right? You need to see this. And so we are, we're going to, to look at it, one, because the scriptures are really getting at us, those of us who call ourselves followers of God, to see the inner Jonah and us all, the prejudices that are in us all, the things that are, that are in us all, one that we may be able to experience and see our deep need of the thing in which we say we already have, and that is the grace of God through Jesus Christ, that it's something that has to go deeper in our lives. And so here are our three points that are kind of got our time. The first one is saved but not formed. Second one is unmerited compassion, and the last one is unmerited love. So let me pray and ask God to bless our time. Father, we, we come to you in the name of your son, Jesus, and not just in rhetoric, but Lord, in deep need of who you are, and knowing the access that we have to approach the throne of grace in time where we need help. And God, there's never not a time in which we don't need your help. And we confess that there's too many times functionally that we act as if there's not. Father, I pray that you would do amongst us in our own hearts and individually and corporately, God, what you would do to, to Jonah. That is to reveal to us that you love our enemies far more than we do. And that we would be able to understand that the grace that you've given us and the love that you've shown us and the mercy that you've extended to us, that we in return would do to others. And so, Father, I pray that you would confront and that you would convict and you would lead us closer to look like, to resemble, to mimic, to follow your son, Jesus. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen. So 2016, if I say that year, if I say 2016, what was that year like? People have different responses. 2016, we may say, well, that was the year that we had a presidential change, that we went from President Obama to President Trump. And people say, well, that, that was the big thing that year, and that was a big deal. But that didn't happen until November of that year. And some people may say, well, that was the year that over the summer, what we saw as we turned on the news or the TV, again after again, that you saw young black bodies that were dead, usually at the hands of police officers. And then you would turn on the TV and you would see police officers who were also dead at the hands of another. You would just see violence over and over and over and over again. And all of this is going on as the election is particularly happening and as people or candidates are happening. And there's multiple things that are happening around our country. And people like to say, well, what happened in that particular pres presidential election is it divided our country more than it's ever been divided. And the question that I would have is, did it divide our country or did it just expose all the divisions that had already been there? And, and what, what happens is you go, well, that's in the culture. Like, that's in the world. Those of us as followers of Jesus, we live to a higher standard. And yet... Those of us who follow Jesus look exactly like the culture and the waters in which we swim. That, that, that there was really no difference. The same division that was happening there was happening here. The same arguments that were happening out there were happening here. The same things that people were talking about and arguing about on social media 
were happening here. In fact, that was a year that I ended social media for me. I said, I'm going to go away from it. And I haven't gone back, let me just tell you. Right? So you, 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 had, you had all these things that are happening within the body of Christ. That, that many of us can talk about moments where we knew we were going to go get coffee or go get dinner with somebody, and you went into that dinner going, oh, my gosh, I hope this conversation doesn't come up because I might lose this friend over this conversation. Some of us are like, no, there are some friends that I still have not been able to reconcile since then. Many of you were saying, I defriended and were unfriended on social media, and I did it to other people. I just had to get them out of my life. Yet, yet, we all say, well, we believe Jesus. Well, so do some of the other people in this same room that are on the complete different spectrum than you do. We're quick, as followers of Christ, Christian folk, to try to question who's saved and who's not saved. As if God had, at one point in history, had given us the job. Ricardo, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go around and tell people who's saved and who's not saved. Not once did he ever tell anybody that. And yet we're very good to even question. It's, I, don't think, I don't think she's saved. Uh-uh, not with that on. Right? And it's like, no, 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 no. So you, you and, 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 as, and as Christian folk, oftentimes what we like to do is we like to take certain scriptures um, or certain issues and attach those scriptures in Jesus to those issues and thus say, okay, these are the issues, these are the scriptures, these are the stories of Jesus. That means Jesus must be for this particular candidate. And somebody say, no, 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 this is Jesus, this is the scripture, therefore he's for this particular candidate. <laughs> and yet when we begin to read the totality of scripture and we begin to see our Savior our Savior, when he came into this world, did not come to debate his enemies. He did not come to ignore his enemies. He actually came to die for them and to give his life for them that they might have life. Not that they might shut up. Not that they might just be like him. That they may have life. This is wildly different than what we experience. You say, well, what does this have to do with Jonah? Good question. Because Jonah finds himself um, very nationalistic. And so there's nationalism that's happening. And that is not that he shouldn't have been pro-Israel, but when you are now pro one particular nation above and beyond and against every other nation, that becomes a problem. That Jonah's story was that he believed that God set his saving love upon Israel, which is true. But the problem is he didn't say his saving love on Israel because of race. God doesn't operate primarily out of race. It's always because of grace. He chose the people of God that they might be a blessing to the other nations, that the other nations might get in on what God is doing. Jonah didn't see that. And so not only is there nationalism there, there's racism. He looks at the Ninevites and he goes, never. Do you know what those people did to my people for all of those years? Right? And not once did God say, yeah, but you know what, that was a long time ago. Get over it. And at the same time, did God not say, oh, okay, that's right, never mind, don't, don't show grace to them. No, he's God. He's like, no, I want you to go and extend the grace and mercy that you've received. And Jonah doesn't want any part of that. There's a lot we can learn from Jonah and how we can interact with each other and understanding the inner Jonah, the inner prejudices that are in all of us, mainly those who call ourselves the people of God. <laughs> right? That, that we can see that Jonah himself needs the Lord ultimately to awaken him to be able to see his issues. And what we see at the very end of this is this book is actually not even about Jonah and for Jonah. It's actually a book for us. That it ends with a particular question, and I think the question continues to the readers of Jonah, that will we be able to see and relate to and join in the compassionate and mercy and love of our Father, or will we find ourselves only just huddling around in the same particular groups that we were born in, that we were raised in, etc.? So as we walk through this, with that in mind, 
first thing here is saved, but not yet formed. Read, read this to me, chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah expediently. The it that displeased him expediently it happened in chapter 3, verse 10. And that was the Ninevites repented. Like the very thing that Jonah did not want happened. And so it displeased Jonah expediently, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were gracious, a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? I love how God is. God is just like Jonah, Jonah. Jonah he, he plays that therapist. Jonah, sit down. In fact, lay down. You mad, bro? Right? <laughs> you, do you really need to be angry? He's mad. He's mad. I mean, just the picture, right? He is going, I didn't want to go because I knew you were going to do what you do. You were gracious. You're slow to anger. You're abounding in steadfast love. I wanted you to take them out. And God's like, kind of like, I would have, but yet I extended my grace and they repented. And so, like, isn't that a good thing, Jonah? No. So saved by, by, but not yet formed. Here, here's the thing. In evangelical circles, which we are in, whether you knew it or not, surprised you, um, is we are very good at wanting to look at the scripture, which is a good thing. And then also wanting to be correct about the scripture, which oftentimes becomes an intellectual thing. And therefore, we are really good at talking about a concept called personal salvation. And that is how a person, a man or woman or child, comes to know Jesus. That we say that if a person could believe that God came in the flesh in the person of Jesus, and that Jesus died on the cross for their sins, if they profess that with their mouth and believe in their heart that God the Father raised him from the dead, that he or she will be saved. And we love that. We pray the prayer with people. We love that language. And the thing about it is we will be very excited for people being baptized and coming to know Jesus as we should, but then not yet be fully discipled. Not yet be conformed in ways that our obedience and our life begins to reflect the lordship of Jesus in our life in every area of our life. Morality, socially, economically, financially, that our whole life comes to grips with discipleship. And what I'm trying to say is, instead of asking the question, is he or she saved, it's going, is he or she following? Are we following, mirroring, imi imitating the life and love of Jesus? Like the Redeemer, the Lord, our rock. And oftentimes what we have is we have people who were saved, and when they do something that's horrible, we, go, we usually go, I can't believe they did that. When what we realize is there's a gap in what we know and what we profess about God than what we actually do. I, I think of it this way. So an old mentor of mine told me this. He makes his faith um, comparison to the metaphor of jazz, and he's a big jazz guy. And one of the things he talks about is if you, if you listen to jazz and then, you know, everybody, not everybody listens to jazz, but if you listen to jazz, what you hear is usually something really good. And what he talks about is in order to be a good jazz musician, which I'm not a musician and I'm leaning this way, but I'm not going to do nothing about it, outside, right? And so is that you have to be really good at mastering core notes. And then once you've mastered the core notes, then you can improvise in such a way. And if you listen to Coltrane or something like that and you hear somebody in the back, you hear the percussion person, ta -ta, ta -ta, ta -ta, ta -ta, they can say the same song again. And it's not going to sound the same. And his whole point is, if somebody told you, listen, I play the drums, and I've been playing the drums for 15 years, Won't, come, come watch me play. You expect to hear something good, right? Like, oh, this is, bring a friend. 
right? He goes, why is it that when somebody says, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I've been following and practicing the ways of Jesus for 15 years, come and see. Why is it that the world around us doesn't expect to see something different? Right? There's something about what we say we believe and then actually what we do, and there's a chasm there. Jonah, Jonah believed God. What a question about Jonah's salvation. Jonah believed that God was merciful. Jonah believed that God had redeemed Israel. Jonah himself, his, his issues wasn't necessarily they didn't believe God. His issues, he was definitely hashtag Hebrew lives matter only, right? Let me try to communicate this point, um, this particular story. So recently, several weeks ago, there was, a, um, unfortunately, a shooting at a synagogue in North County, San Diego, Palo Alto. And the individual that went in and shot that, you know, and, and, and took the lives of these innocent people in this Jewish synagogue was a devout evangelical Christian. And if you read this individual as he wrote about his belief statements, it's daunting. It'll make you squirm. Here's why. It's almost verbatim what we would have in our doctrinal statements. Like almost to a T. Not, not, not light theology either, like deep doctrinal theological beliefs that he had. And yet, he would say it was in those theological beliefs somehow that there was a leap, or he didn't see it as a leap, to justify his particular actions. Now, you say that might be extreme. However, there's something that's going wrong when we think we could be saved and not be discipled or formed in the image of Christ. So in response to because that, that came out in a post in the Washington Post, um, in response to that, there was a pastor who was a part of that denomination who's in Washington, D.C., that responded. His name is Duquan. And he says this, the problem is that what he believed about personal salvation, according to our tradition, could have been enough for him to be saved. But it wasn't enough to save him from embracing anti-Semitic and perpetrating hateful violence and murder. We must correct this enduring fatal disjunct between the gospel and the second great commandment, between the first tablet and the second, between dogmatics and ethics, between, here it is, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Meaning, what we did a few weeks ago, beautiful baptism, but taking those men and women and going, how do we collectively together follow Jesus and allow the maturity of Christ in us by the Spirit to grow us in such a way? That it is not enough just to say, I believe in Jesus. We have to begin to be formed and to be shaped in the life of community to begin to look like, resemble, and mirror who this Jesus is. Amen? Here's how this plays out in most religious people. It plays out in its form of self-righteousness more than anything. In youth groups, all you talk about is, you know, don't have, you know, I know there's kids in there, don't, you know. (laughs) Don't do this. (laughs) And don't do that. And it's usually the same category. And then then, then save yourself, and then you're going to find this perfect spouse, and Jesus, you know, and all of us are like, okay, none of that works. So let's talk about... Like, legitimately, when it, comes to, when it comes to most religious people, when it comes to our issues, a lot of it oftentimes is self-righteousness. And you don't have to be a religious person to be self-righteous. Some of you, you're just environmentalists, and you're the most self-righteous people in the world, right? And it's not to say God doesn't care about his world. He does care about it, and I'm glad that you do. But you could take it to a point, you know, that you think you're better than everybody else because of compost. And to do compost in Arizona, that's really hard. So you're like, you're really up there. You're really up there. Congratulations, right? 
It is. It's hard from what I've been told. Uh, or we, 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 and it's in subtle ways, right? Just like take the religious part of it. It's in subtle ways. I mean, think about it this way. If you're a person and you are usually on time, it bothers you when people are not on time. Somebody's like, yeah, yeah. No, God, God's always on time. So. And, you, and you always attach it to a characteristic of God, and like he's an on-time God. Oh, yes, he is. You know? And so you have that. Um, you, you, you look down your nose towards people who are late. If you're a person, I mean, here's, here's, here's another one, and just kind of even just mothering the, the way you give birth. If you're a natural birth person, um, which, by the way, caveat, I'm not a doctor. Um, I've never given birth, never will. Um, I was there twice when it happened, and they asked me to leave both times because of my stomach. And so there, so hear me, but there is this, there is a little bit of, like, hey, I gave birth, no medicine, yeah, no medicine, no medicine for me, girl, right? As opposed to those who maybe have taken medicine or done a different way of birth. And there, there is a sense, and like, and some of you women in here, you know exactly what I'm talking about, because some of you are going, yeah, natural. <laughs> right? And there's a, some self-righteous that come on either side of it, depending on where you, where you are. We even do this in some small ways, even with our, not small ways, we do this with our kids. If you have kids, and your, your upbringing, like their upbringing is better than yours, you know what I mean, like in terms of things they have, you let them know as soon as you can. Like as soon as, as, soon as you, oh, 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 you complain it? Huh. You lucky you can't complain. In my household, we weren't even allowed to complain. <laughs> right? Right? I mean, I, I, I do this sort of stuff all the time. Like my kids, my kids, they're, they're so privileged. I mean, like they have no idea, no idea. I'm like, listen, listen, you see, you see this? You see me and your mom? The fact that me and your mom are married and we're living together, watch me kiss her. Mm, kiss her. I've never seen, never seen that, okay? Sit down. You're privileged. <laughs> I let them know all the time. Hey, you want to read a book? Hey, guess how many times my dad read a book to me? All right, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, like, there's a sense of going, you have no idea. Or, or, or this is a little bit more sad, but it's there. If you've gone through a particular amount of suffering, right, you find yourself not just not relating to, but almost looking down on those who you perceive to have the perfect life. Here's the deal. Nobody's got the perfect life. God gave me my wife, and, or gave me the ability to woo her, and I thought, she's got the perfect life. And you just realize, no life is perfect. However, when you feel like God has allowed so much junk in your life, it is really hard for you not to look down your nose on the quote-unquote do-gooders of this world who everything just seems, continues to keep going their way. Amen? We, we, we have this sense, and it shows itself to be self-righteous. The thing about self-righteous people, it's not that you don't see your own issues. You just minimize them. You conceal them. You hide them. And somehow you maximize everybody else's. That you don't see, it's not that you don't see your weaknesses. You do. And sometimes they haunt you. However, everybody else's weaknesses are things you, which you talk about. Um, the, w Jesus says it best this way. Why don't you go ahead and get the log out of your eye before you get the speck out of your brother or your sister's eye? And, and he's not saying that there's not specks in other people's eyes and there's not moments and times in which you go, hey, that, that's off right there. He's just saying you had better dug deep and allow the gospel to expose you in such a way that you see there's logs rolling on in your eyes before you begin to jump in somebody else's mess. Jonah refused to see these things. Like Jonah's glaring issue is that he wanted to receive what God was given to him, but then wanted to hoard it in such a way that he would not allow it to go anywhere else. 
The thing about God's grace, God's mercy, God's favor, God's love, God himself, whenever we receive that, it is a giving of God. It's nothing that we ever own. It always belonged to him, will always belong to him, and therefore he will give it to whoever he chooses in spite of you and I. He invites us in obedience and a gift to participate in it. And when we don't, we are not just withholding from others. We are sinning against God. As if somehow we are in the position that we're in because we pulled ourselves up by our religious bootstraps. The Bible never teaches that. The Bible never teaches that. Jonah said, God, I'd rather die. I'd rather die. Well, continuing here, verse 5. Jonah went out of the city and set east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under in, in the shade until he, till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm and attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said, Jonah, do you, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Okay? Jonah is like, listen, oh, Lord, this is, this is not working. All right? Um, we go from not only our, our need to be saved, but the disciples but it turns towards God. The rest of the chapter really turns towards God. And that is his unmerited compassion. And here's what I mean by this. So there's a, there's a theologian who lived years ago. And his name's B.B. Warfield. And he wrote a book or an essay primarily looking at the emotions of God through looking at Jesus. And what he did, he looked at every single moment that there was an emotion of Jesus and um, attributed, like, and he'd write about it. What he noticed is, without a doubt, before God would move, you would hear this phrase in the Gospels of he was moved by or with compassion. Like there was so, and we learned this when we did our series, A Love Walked Among Us, that there's this compassion like about who Jesus is. And this compassion of, from God is not something that we do in order to make him now live in our life or to make him move in our, in our life. He does this because this is who God is. Like he's just acting out of who he is. He's doing what he does by being God. That he moves in compassion towards those who would believe in him and those who would actually reject him. That it's an unmerited compassion. And he's trying to get Jonah in this weird way to see that. Like Jonah can't get that the compassion that he's received and that his nation received and even this moment has come from God. And so here's the picture. Jonah's like, I'm done. I'm out of here. I preached the message. I dropped the mic. I left. I thought you were going to rain down fire. I'd read about that earlier in Genesis. That didn't happen. They became believers of you. And from outside of the city, it says he builds a booth, which I'm not sure how the booth looks. And then there's sun on him. And then it says God did something. God made a, he had a plant grow. When this particular plant that the Bible talks about would have big, huge leaves to give him some shade. So God threw some shade on Jonah in a good way and threw some shade over him so that he can rest. And it says he was exceedingly pleased. Like, not like, oh, that's nice. Like, it, the, the language there is like rejoicing. 120,000 people who don't know their left from their right spiritually just came to know the Lord. I want to die. A plant gives me some shade, praise the Lord. Like, you have to see the humor that is here, and God's like, 
I don't think you're getting why I do what I do and who, I'm, who I am, right? Like, like, you don't get this. And he's like, no, Lord, actually, I don't want to die. <laughs> this is nice over here. And, this, and, and the Lord's like, okay, how about this? Then the Lord, it says, has a worm. And then the worm comes, okay? It was like, kind of like a caterpillar. It was a very hungry caterpillar. And then he came and then <laughs> and became a beautiful butterfly. Now. <laughs> and he eats the plant. And then all of a sudden, now the plant's gone, shade's gone, sun cranks up, wind comes in, beats on him. Just to show, like, you didn't have this compassion. It says to save him literally means to bring compassion. The, the, the branch did and the leaf did. You didn't have this because of you, what you did. I gave this to you. Now let me take it away. What is your life like if you don't have my compassion? And once again, he's like, I'd still rather die. Like he doesn't get how God always moves through compassion. Here's the thing. God's been compassionate in everybody's life here, whether you know it or not. And I don't know everybody's circumstance. I really don't. Um, and some of us are going through things right now where it's like I could use God to move in compassionate ways now. And I understand that. But he's been compassionate for us. And he's never had to be. Like there was never a moment where God said, I have to do this. He, he tethers himself to you. He tethers himself to us. The, in, the, in the ancient times, they would have kind of two different ways of love. And one particular way of love that they would talk about would be like a love of an, uh, like a benevolence. And that would be where you didn't necessarily like the person. You didn't even necessarily know the person. But as an exercise of the will, what you would do is kind acts towards this person. That's a good thing. And then there was one of attachment. An attachment was you were so drawn to this person that their happiness, when they're happy, you're happy. When they're sad, you're sad. This would be the picture of loving of a spouse or even a child or a close friend that you are now drawn to by affection. The language that we have here for God towards the Ninevites is the latter. Is that though they are not even walking with, believe in God, he is tethered to them. That he desires to see their good. That it's somehow in their good, he receives his good and their sadness that he is sad. That's not to say that God by any means is saying that they're innocent of the things in which they've done and they're not deserving of any punishment. He's not saying that. But he is saying that he loves them and he loves them in very affectionate ways because that's the way God loves. That he's drawn to us, not by what we do, but because of who he is and who we are, that God tethers himself to humanity in such a way that he wants to live with us. Jonah does not want that for anybody other than his people and his people alone. To the point that he's willing to say, I would rather die than to have God move into somebody's life. Here's the thing. All of us have somebody like that. It may not, I think, some of us, many of us have people in our life that we're, we may not say we hate because some of us are too Christian to say that. We might say we just dislike them. But we have certain people that are best irritate us, right? No. Okay. Whatever. To be fair, there's some of you guys who are just, you guys are just really sweethearts, and you, uh, nobody irritates you, yet you irritate everybody else. Um, <laughs> so there's, <laughs> you're awesome. Uh, and since no one irritates you, that didn't bother you, so that's cool. So we have, but you have it, and, and usually ask the people close to you who they are. When they, when they point those things out to you, you'll know who they are. There's certain types of people. I have them too. And I realize in my life, if you are, if you are someone who, how do I say this? Like, 
I show no grace to people who I perceive that show no grace. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Does that make Okay, shake your hand. <laughs> and, and partly is, it, it, it's me, and it's not a good thing. Like, it could be justified, well, yeah, you know, you're kind of like the Robin Hood of Christians. And like, no, if you don't, that's the problem. Like, and, and it's, and I don't know why it's like that, but if I feel like you're constantly nitpicking on people and showing no grace, it's like, when something happens to you, I'm kind of like, see? And we have people like that. It's easy for us to attach it to, like, like figures out there. It's amazing as a culture how we love to see powerful, popular people fall. Like, on one hand, we praise them. On the other hand, it's like, ha, look what they did. Right? Let me just use this for an example because many of us around, if you read the newspaper, you don't read it. You scroll through it on your phone. Is you have Aunt Becky in Full House, who we love. And then you got Aunt Becky who, who uh, you know, paid for college tuition in a different way, right? And I say that, seriously, and it's like, like, we love that. We love to hear that. And like somehow, it somehow makes us feel better about ourselves. People's dis- d- demise, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, even what they receive is actually just punishment, should never give us what our identity or give us our joy. The only thing that gives us our identity and our joy is not what people have done, it's what God has done for us in Christ. And when we, re- when we understand that, then we can step into understanding not only is his compassion unmerited, God's love is unmerited. Like, there's, like we receive something that we did not earn, like that we did not work for. Let, let me conclude with this last part of here. Uh, verse 10 says this. After he says that, yes, I'm good to be angry, God says, and the Lord said to him, you pity or have compassion on the plant for which you did not labor and you did not make grow, which came into being in night and and perished at night. What he's saying is, you you, you have compassion on a plant and you did nothing for this. I did this. That you have more compassion, more pity on this plant, and he's saying, this is what you are like as humanity. That you care about things that matter but don't matter the most. And God says, here's what I care about. Verse 11. And should not I pity or have compassion on on Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and so much cattle. I love that last part. He goes, and they got a lot of cattle. (laughs) What, 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 What God is saying here is going like, like, the plant matters, like it does, but the people matter more. And this is not an argument over like people or plants. It's not, that's not, we're not going there, because clearly it was like the cattle count too. So he's making, he's making the point here that when it comes to his love, we are the ones who miss out on participating in it because of our issues, not him. We are the ones that miss out on what God is doing because we are stuck in ourselves and not following and looking to him. We are more concerned about people being more like us than us actually being more like God, the one in whom we say we worship. You become who you hang around with. And if we're not looking more and more like God, then who are we hanging out with? Right? And so you have this picture of God saying, Jonah, I just want you to get in on this. He answered the question like, like, you have compassion over the plant. It came, it's gone. No, you're missing the point. He goes, will you have compassion on these people who I know did all these things and I know they got issues, but will you have compassion on what I'm doing in their life? Would you see this unmerited love that I have for these people in the same way that I have love for you? 
What God is trying to get Jonah not to see, he's trying to get us to see. Like Jonah cannot, Jonah can't reconcile that God can be just and a God of wrath and anger and a God of love and a God of mercy and a God of grace. He can't, he can't reconcile that. Like, like some of us, some of us, we want God's justice in areas and we don't want his grace. Yet when it comes to our life, we don't want God's justice. When it comes to the things we know, we don't want justice. We want grace. We want mercy. And God, and, and sometimes we view God as like, like he, he's a God of love and mercy and grace. And, and he has anger and he has wrath and he has justice. But he doesn't really like pulling those out unless he has to. No, he is those. He's like, that's who he is. And, and what Jonah can't see at this moment that we can see is how that's all reconciled. That's reconciled, not at the end of this book, it's reconciled as the story contend, ulti, uh, continues ultimately in Christ Jesus on the cross. That we have a vantage point as being New Testament believers to look at the cross and go, we do see his wrath. We do see his anger. We do see his justice. We do see his judgment upon our sin and the sin of the world because he narrowed it and he put it on his son on the cross. And we do see his love. And we do see his mercy. And we do see his grace because now we who believe in him are forgiven and we are let go. This is unmerited. We didn't do this for us. God did it for us because he loved us. And the question is why? The Bible lets us know. God loves us because he loves us. That's it. That's it. He tells Israel, it was not because you were more than number that I chose you. It was not because you were most likely to do this. I chose you because I chose you. Meaning God just pours out his love for any who would believe to get in on that love and in receiving that love begin to reciprocate that love to the people around us. Amen? What I love about Jonah, what I love about this book is that Jonah wrote it. Modern people, Christians, we, if we were writing Jonah, we would have ended at, at three. That, was, that, that's a, that is a way better selling book than chapter four, right? Chapter three would have ended and said, Jonah, what happened, man? It was crazy. I went to Nineveh. You know, the, God, the Lord used me to preach, and uh, God worked in mighty ways, but 120,000 got saved. You cat him, right? <laughs> That's because we, we don't really believe the gospel like we want to do. There's something about when people really believe the gospel that they actually put their true self forth, not the self that everybody else wants to see. Jonah gets the gospel. He totally does. That's why he writes chapter 4. He lets us know what a complete idiot he was. He lets us know what a racist he was. He lets us know how self-righteous he was so that we can see that what our, our failures too are not too far from the saving grace and mercy and love of the Lord. That Jonah really gets it. We, we would have we hidden it. We would have we known. Like chapter 4, we'll talk about that only in our you know, accountability groups. Jonah says, no, this is what happened. This is the way it really is. It was never about me. It was never primarily about Israel. It was always about God and what he's doing and how he's working through ultimately himself in Christ to be able to redeem the world. And then we, by invitation, by grace, and by love, can participate in that through faith. Amen? So the question is not a do, it's a reflection. And that is, do we see the people in our life the way that God sees them? Do we love the people in our life the way that God loves them? Not the ones who are easy, the ones who aren't easy. So when you go work tomorrow, or you go wherever you go where that person or those people are, and they start doing that thing that they do that make you go, they ain't worthy. Just remember, you 
could either rejoice in the plant or the people and the cattle. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, we, um, we thank you for the ways in which you move. We confess that many of us don't even think we're self-righteous, and yet we are. It's actually ridiculous. We confess, Lord, that sometimes we don't want others to have the things in which we have because somehow those things are where we find our identity instead of in you. So, Father, help us to see that the greatest thing in which we have is not something that we've achieved or that we've even earned, but has been given to us, and that is your son, Jesus. And may, us ch may we ch treasure him, may we feast upon him, and may his life transform our lives daily. We confess we are in Christ saved, and yet we still need to be formed. We still need your grace. We still need your gospel. We ask that you would guide and lead us, Jesus, that you would, uh, you would show us your ways collectively as a people. Help us to love our enemies as hard as that is. Father, help us to see the example and the power in the cross of your son, Jesus, and in the power of his resurrection, and by the presence and power of the Spirit in us that we may walk in your ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.